I was trying to decide this week, you know, what to do because uh, usually I'm not here this time of year. Usually I take off and go to Virginia or somewhere, and this year we're, I'm here and uh, just trying to figure out exactly this transition because next week actually, uh, just going to be a one week, next week I'm, I'm teaching on things, something called Invest 2014. And we're talking about the vision for our church and what God wants us to do and how we can invest in that next year. And then the following week actually, uh, two weeks from now, we start a new series uh, called How to Get Through What You're Going Through. And uh, back right after uh, the tornado, the Sunday after that, I kind of shifted gears and shared a message there, talk, uh, talked about what we learned this week. And uh, a lot of people shared with me how, how that was helpful to them. And I shared with them that I got the idea that during the week on a Friday night watching on, online, thinking about a message that I'd heard from Rick Warren uh, back, back uh, earlier this year after... He had preached after his son had committed suicide, and he came back three months later. And how he had a whole series, actually, based on that. And in talking with leadership, they said, leadership team, they said, hey, why don't you do the whole series? And so uh, so we're going to be doing that, talking about, uh, we'll be in our small groups. We'll have some information about that, some small group uh, stuff that you can use, uh, outlines and things. And uh, I'll be talking about how to get through what you're going through, and it's uh, several weeks. And it's not just about, you know, the tornado. It's about whatever you've gone through in life, the difficulties in life you go through, and how God can help you through those. And so it's, I think it's an incredibly helpful uh, thing we'll be looking at in a couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to those. But today, I decided to go back and actually look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And I realized when I chose this passage of Scripture, it's the, actually the very, and I'm sure all of you remember this, that we're here then, uh, in May 2nd of 2002. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was actually the first time I ever preached at Great Oaks. Uh, actually I came up here, it was the craziest thing. I had his conversations on the phone for a couple of weeks with some folks and about uh, potentially coming as pastor here. And so they said, Hey, why don't you fly up there up here? And, uh, why don't you, uh, just, uh, we'll, we can have a face to face interview. We've had all these phone interviews and stuff. And while you're there, by the way, why don't you just go ahead and preach too? This is not a light of a call. This is just like you're a guest preacher all the way from Virginia for a week. Like nobody can figure out what's going on. And uh, so I did. And, and actually, I preached on this passage um, uh, those, the 11 years ago. And it's one of my favorites because it comes out of a, one of my favorite people in Scripture. His name is Joshua. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1 over in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a, kind of fairly close to the beginning of the Bible. So uh, uh, it's right before Judges. And uh, you can uh, look at it there. We'll be looking at the first few verses there and talking about that as well. So... That's where we are this morning. And I thought the reason I thought about this was because at this time of year, for some reason, we always kind of refocus our attention on what's my purpose in life and, you know, how am I going to live next year differently than I lived the past year? For some reason, when we come around to the new year, don't we do that? We, we make new, new Year's resolutions. Uh, we do all that kind of things. Uh, why? I don't know. We could do it any day of the week, any time of the year. But for some reason, when we get to the end of the year, starting a new year, it reminds us to do that as well. So... We're going to be looking at that this morning because the, the reality is the Bible tells us really seriously and cl- uh, clearly that God has a purpose for our lives, that you're not here by accident. Uh, you didn't just happen by chance, uh, regardless of the circumstances of your birth. God has a purpose for you. In Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, God has made us what we are and God has made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. 
And, and as we think about this new year, as we think about going into the new year, the, the key to significance in life, I really believe, the key to satisfaction in life, the key to meaning in life, is to let God use you for what he designed you to do. And so this morning, uh, you know, th- that's not something you didn't know before. But oftentimes, even though we know that God wants to use us, one of uh, many times what we have or the problem we have is lack of confidence in carrying through the things that God wants us to do. And, uh, and so today we're going to look at how to build confidence in our life, and it's entitled Living a Confident Life. It's the sermon title. But it's uh, four, uh, four lessons from the life of Joshua. And Joshua is a great case study in the Bible of a person who, who lived, uh, who faced incredible odds in his life, and his life was one battle after another, but he never gave up. But he had one problem, and it was, it was obvious in the very first chapter of Joshua what his problem was. That's, that is, he lacked confidence. And in Joshua 1, uh, God gives him a pep talk. And four times in this chapter, this first chapter uh, of Joshua, uh, there's this phrase used. It says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. That's what it says in the NIV translation. The Good News translation uses the term, uh, uses these terms, be determined and confident. And it says it four times. Uh, uh, and, and in a sense, what we see in this passage is four keys to developing the confidence that God wants us to have to carry out the thing that he wants us to do. Now, I think there's two obvious reasons as you look at the life of Joshua, two obvious reasons why he lacked confidence. Number one is that he succeeded Moses. He succeeded Moses. And if you read the very end, if if you don't know anything about Moses, let me just read what it says. The very last verse in the book of Deuteronomy uh, it says this, talking about Moses, it says, For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did. And so he's, he's, Joshua was the guy to follow this guy that God says, No one's ever done this, you know. Look at Moses. Wouldn't you like to succeed that guy? You know, it'd be the follow-up to that guy. Um, that's one reason he probably lacked confidence. But the second reason I think he lacked confidence and and, and, and uh, in verse is also because of the assignment that God gave him. Uh, it says, God says this, now Moses is dead, and I want you to go in and, and take over the promised land. And in parentheses, he, I, we could have said this, and by the way, it's filled with seven enemy nations, all of them stronger and bigger than you. You're to go in there with a ragtag group of people who have been slaves for 400 years, and for the last 40 years have wandered around in the desert because they're afraid. Now go for it. And so, you know, there's a couple of reasons here. You know, succeeding Moses and the and assignment he has is to go in and do this. But in this passage in Joshua chapter 1, God gives him four things that I believe uh, he, it helps him build his confidence. And these are the same things if we're to carry out what God wants us to do. And I believe that God has something for every one of us. Let me explain something to you. Every person who is a believer who accepts Jesus Christ has a... Every person has a purpose in life, and first is to follow Jesus Christ. But secondly, is once you follow Jesus Christ, it's more than just coming to church. God has given you a purpose. He's given you your spiritual gifts. He's given you passions, your heart. He's given you abilities. He's given you a personality. He's given you experiences, all kinds of experiences in life that allow you, and he wants you to take those and use those for him in serving people, and, and we call that ministry. And God, everybody, just pastors are not the only ones who have a ministry. You have a ministry as well if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And God has called you to do that. But sometimes because of lack of confidence, we can uh, we do not go f- follow through on that. So I want to talk about uh, what do you do when you know what God wants you to do with your life, but you don't have the courage to do it. Uh, four things I see in this in this 
passage. Number one, the first thing that he tells uh, Joshua to do, which he tells us as well, if we want to follow him, is let go of doubt. Let go of doubt. Uh, doubt, I believe, is the single greatest enemy of confidence. It's the single greatest enemy of confidence. It limits your potential. It causes procrastination. It, uh, it, uh, it causes you to miss God's best. In James 1.6, it says this, for instance. It says, anyone who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown up and down by the wind. And, and what doubt will do, it'll push us around in life. And instead of you controlling circumstances, circumstances control you. Uh, doubt causes us to be wishy-washy. Uh, and, and, it's, and in Joshua 1.9, this is what uh, God says. He says, this is my command. And he tells us to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Basically, God is telling Joshua here, banish doubt from your life because he said, I'm going to be with you, Joshua. I know the, the task is big. I know you're following up the guy who's probably con- considered the greatest leader in history. But he said, don't worry about that because I'm going to be with you. See, you can doubt. He, he's saying to us this. He's saying that doubts are a choice. Doubts are a choice. You can doubt your doubts. Most people believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs, right? We do that. Sometimes we doubt our, we, we believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. And why don't you believe your beliefs and doubt your doubt? Doesn't that make more sense? If you can understand what I just said, by the way. I know there's a lot of words there. But the thing is, is when, when you say God could never use me, who told you that? Well, your doubts did. Your doubts did. Then doubt your doubts. Believe what the Bible says that God wants to use you, that even before you were born and he, and he placed you upon this planet, he made, had a purpose for you to make the world a better place. God has a purpose for you in what you're doing with life, more than just sitting around, sitting, soaking, and souring, you know, and, and doing nothing with your life. And I know people, uh, God uses people, but and sometimes people, we say, well, God can never use me. Well, you can, you're dead wrong. Let me ask you, or let me, let me give you a couple of reasons. What causes these kinds of doubts in our life? Well, two things causes the doubts in our life. Uh, two things rob us of, of our confidence. Number one, comparing myself to others. Comparing yourself to others always causes you to doubt. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, the New Testament, you know what, what the Bible says? Paul says, he says, people who compare themselves to others, other people are what? They're fools. That's what he says. They're fools. If you compare yourself to others, he says it's dumb. God says, don't compare yourself. Two reasons we don't compare ourselves to others. Number one, you'll always find someone who's doing a better job than you, and you'll get discouraged. You'll always do that. Or number two, you'll always find somebody, you're doing a better job than them, and guess what will happen? You'll get filled with pride. Either way, it's not a good place to go. Either way, God says, don't, don't doubt uh, a second reason uh, that, that we have these kind of doubts is because of past failures. Past failures. I cannot tell you how many of us, I, I, I think all of us do this. I really do. We, When we begin to ask ourselves, should I do this or whatever, we think about all the things in our past, the failures in our past. And we think, well, God can never use me because I failed here or I failed there. I've not been so consistent here. Have you ever read the Bible? I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, did God only use people who had sterling past in the bible remember we just went through the whole story last year remember some people god god uses people that have all kind of problems in the past moses i mean one of the great leaders what did moses do murder moses was a murderer 
How about David? David was not only an adulterer, he was an adulterer and a murderer. And then there's this guy named Abraham. What did Abraham do? I mean, he was considered the father of nations. He gave away his wife twice. I mean, you know, does that make you a great, you know, person of God? God can, no, he, God used him. Jacob. Jacob stole the family inheritance from his brother. Paul was a religious terrorist. Literally. And Peter, Peter, the guy that God used as the kind of the, the head of, of the, of, of the disciples, the early apostles. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church upon Peter. He says this. He says, Peter was a hard driving, hard drinking, hard living fisherman. And he had a temper. So does God only use people that got everything together? No, obviously from Scripture, God uses people with checkered past. Nobody's perfect. The Bible says it real clear. All have sinned. All have sinned. Me, you, all of us have sinned. God uses ordinary people. Matter of fact, God uses dysfunctional people to do what he needs to do. The point is, it doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is what direction are your feet headed right now. And so as we start this new year, the thing is, if we're doubting that God could possibly use us and do something great in, 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 sec, in this new year, number one, doubt your doubts. Don't, uh, d- d- just don't, don't doubt. Number two, the second key um, I've seen in this, this passage of Scripture in the first 11 verses of jo- Joshua chapter 1, the second key to gaining confidence to be used by God is this. Look for a promise of God. Look for a promise of God. Do you know there are over 7,000 promises in Scripture? Who are they for? They're for somebody else, right? No, they're for you and they're for me. They're for all of us. Over 7,000 promises in Scripture. They're, uh, They're for each one of us. The word promise is a key theme in the life of Joshua. At the beginning of his life, in the very first chapter, God makes a promise. At the end of the book of Joshua... Uh, a book, Joshua comments on those promises. Uh, the first, in the first, uh, Joshua chapter one, verse three, this is what God promises. He says, I promise you what I promised Moses. Whatever you set, wherever you set foot, you will be on a land, on land I have given you. God said, I, I promise you, this is that wherever you set foot into the promised land, that's going to be land that I've given you. God makes a promise. Is it possible for God to lie? You guys can actually talk today if you want to. Is it possible for God to lie? Now, this is a statement of faith, I know, because, you know, the reality is I don't believe it's possible for God to lie because it's against his very nature, who he is. You know, I've heard people say, well, if he says it, it will happen. God, or I've heard people say, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, that's not true. God says it, it's going to happen whether I believe it or not. I believe that's true. The reality is God said, Joshua, I know there are seven enemy countries out there in, in this land you're going to take over, and they're all bigger and stronger in you, than you, but I am promising you you're going to possess the promised land. It's called the promised land. You got that, right? That's hugely important, but remember it's the promised land. Look for a promise. At the end of the book of Joshua, if you go all the way to the end, to the 23rd chapter, Joshua, Joshua right before he dies of old age, says this, in, in chapter 23, verse 14. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That means I'm getting old. I'm about to die. That's what he says. He says, you know that not one of, not one of all the good promises God gave us has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. I would call that the successful bookends to a successful life, right? God promises them on the front end. God promises and none, none of the promises fail this whole life. 
At the beginning of his ministry, he gets a promise and he says, God, I don't feel adequate. I don't feel prepared. I don't feel up to the task. And it, it seems overwhelming. The odds are against him. But God says, none of that matters. I have a promise for you. Uh, It's legitimate at this point to ask the question, okay, then, well, if God promised that to Joshua, what does he promise to me and you? There are many promises uh, that he promises. I've said over 7,000 in Scripture. But there are three in this first chapter that he promises not only Joshua, but he promises us as well. And he promises us other places in Scripture. What are those? Well, three promises he gives to Joshua that he promises to us as well. Number one is strength. God says this, nobody's going to be able to stand against you. Nobody's going to be able to stand against you. Whatever I call you to do, I'm going to give you the power to do. You've heard the, the statement, where God, 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 provi- God guides, God provides. I believe it's true. He says, I will give you the strength to do what you need to do. You may not feel like you have the strength, but I'm going to give it to you, Joshua. Number two, success. You know that God wants you to succeed in life? Now, let, let, me, let me stop a second and say this, though. It may not be what you think. God doesn't promise that he's going to give you everybody, make everybody a millionaire. Okay? He does not promise that anywhere in Scripture. But he says this, but God wants you to succeed in life. And, and the Bible takes, tells us clearly this. If you get in line with God's plan, you can't help but succeed. It is inevitable. You can expect it. Twice in this chapter, he says, I promise you'll succeed. In verse 7 and in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Joshua. Twice he says that. He says, you'll be successful if you do what I want you to do. So basically he's saying this, if you want to be a success, get on track with God in your life. If you want to be frustrated all of your life, do it your own way. That's what he's saying. See, God wants you to succeed, but he wants you to succeed his way, with his purpose, because he created every one of us for a purpose. And he gave us all the things in life that we have for the purpose of serving him and, and sharing the good news with people all over the world. So he promises the strength and success. And third, uh, he promises us support. He promises Joshua support. Verse 9, it, uh, God says, I'll be with you wherever you go. I really believe that God's work done in God's way will never lack support. That's why we have to stay on track and make sure we don't get off track. Next week, I'm going to challenge us to stay on track, to be laser-focused on what God wants us to do because God's work done God's way will never lack us. I can tell you that. Only when we get off track with God do we have a problem. There are thousands of other promises in this book you can count on. I guarantee it. And there's only one way to know them. How do you do that? Well, it tells us in, in, in Joshua 1.8, God said to Joshua, don't let this book, what's he talking about? This book. He said, don't let this book of the law depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it and then you will be pro- prosperous and successful. You want a good business plan? That's it. Know what God's word says. Focus upon, you're going like, well, meditation, I don't know about meditation. How many of you know how to worry? Anybody here know how to worry? Raise your hand. If you, this, is, this is crowd participation right now. If you know how to worry, raise your hand. If you don't know how to worry, if you don't have your hand raised, you probably are clueless about most things in life. You really are. Because all of us know how to worry, right? How do you worry? You, you start thinking on something, and you just think on it, and you think on it, and you think on it, and you think on it. And what happens? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? That's what happens every time you worry. That's what meditation is, except you take and you think about what's in here. 
And you think on it, and you think on it, and you think on it. And you learn it, and you learn it, and you learn it, and it becomes a part of your life. That's what meditation is. So if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. You're professionals at it already. Because I'm sure you're professionals at at, uh, worry as well, like I am. See, this verse says that your success is based on your commitment to the Word of God. And if you're committed to the Word of God, God says, I don't care what your abilities you've got, you will succeed in what I choose you to do. Okay. That was number two. The third key to uh, getting the confidence that God wants you to have is really incredibly simple. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it's incredibly simple. Lean on the Lord. Lean on. It didn't say believe in the Lord. It says lean on the Lord. It means to depend totally, completely, exclusively. When you lean on something, when I lean on this, I, I forgot to bring my chair up here this morning. I was going to do that and sit in. You know, when you sit, you're sitting in your chairs right now. You know, right now you have total faith in that chair to hold you up. Do you know that? Unless you're sitting there like, you know, just terrified. You're thinking any second the chair's going to crash. No, right now you have total faith in the chair, right? You do. You wouldn't be sitting there so calmly if you didn't. You'd be freaking out. And the reality is what, what God says, what, what he's saying here, what God is saying to Joshua, he says, he said, lean on me, put all your, all your weight on me. In Joshua 1, 5, it says this, no one will be able to defeat you all, all of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor will I forget you. He's saying, I'm going to be with you all the time, the whole time. You can lean on me. And if you will study the life, if you read the whole book, and if something, this is a great, if you don't have anything right now, you're focused on in your quiet time, read the book of Joshua. It's a great way to start the year. Because if you will look at the life of Joshua, you will find that as long as he leaned on the Lord, he was undefeatable. Is that a word? I guess it is. Undefeatable. As long as he leaned on the Lord. And God says, he says, I'll be with you. I don't think, Joshua was going, I don't think I can do this in my own power. And God says, I will give you the power to do what I want you to do. So let me ask you a question. What are you leaning on? What are you leaning on? What do you put all your trust in? Do you put it in your 401k? Do you put it in uh, how smart you are? Do you put in, let let me just blow that one away. About being how smart you are and me. You know what the Proverbs 3, 5 says? Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Why? It didn't say this in parentheses. It says, say, because that's a disaster. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, lean into him, lean on him and he will make your path straight. So what are you leaning, what are you leaning on? See, the reality is, is some people lean on other people. And I hate to say this, and I said this last week and the week before, I think, in different ways. People can be, we need people in our lives, right? But if you put all your trust and all your faith in them, they will ultimately, somewhere down the road, disappoint you. Because what? Because all have sinned. All of us are sinners. All of us are people that have need in our life. And the only person that can truly, we can truly lean on and tr- be trustworthy all the time is God. So lean on the Lord. Number four, the last point is this. The fourth key to gaining confidence to do what God wants you to do is this. And this is, this is so important. Launch out in faith. Launch out in faith. 
Joshua 1 verses 10 and 11 says this. Then Joshua issued instructions to the leaders of Israel to tell the people to get ready to cross the Jordan River. <laughs> you know, I mean, all this up to this point was God had promised him this. He said, God, you can do this, Joshua. I'm giving you this, this purpose in your life. You're to take the people into the promised land. But if he just sit there all day knowing God's promises but not doing anything about it, guess what? He would be, his life would be insignificant. We wouldn't be reading about Joshua. There comes a point in time when you have to make the critical decision to go for it. And in this situation, Joshua had to do it literally. He had to take the plunge literally, he and the people. Um, for the children of Israel to go to the promised land, they had to cross the river, the Jordan River. Now, we don't think of that as a big deal in our day and age because all we get out here is we, we cross the river every day. You know, you know, we get out here and go across the bridge, right? Imagine going across the river without the bridge. Okay. Now, I know the Illinois River is, you know, uh, I don't know how wide it is, but it's only like out there, parts is only like three feet deep. You can walk way out there. I didn't know that, you know, for a long time. I thought, wow, this is a monster river, you know. And then I realized I was out in a boat one time, they had a depth finder. And it never got more than three feet deep, three-fourths of the way across. Then all of a sudden it had the little trench where the tug, uh, the barges go by, and it's like, what, 20 feet deep, something like that. So it's not a huge river. I mean, it's, it's, it's doable, you know, if you had to walk across it. It'll take a while. That's kind of what the Jordan River was like. It's not even that wide, probably. But the reality is, in the springtime, when they happen to be going across the river, it says in Scripture, it often floods and becomes a rushing, raging river. I kind of saw that when I was in Africa. We were fording uh, rivers uh, during dry season, that we could drive our truck through, and it was no, you know, no deeper than up to the doors, the water was. I, I found out that sometimes during the rainy season, that same stream can be 20 to 30 feet deep. During that same, that same one, it looks so docile, and we drove right through it. That's why you can't get to certain places out in Mali uh, and to visit the Yolanka people except for about seven months of the, during the year. You just can't get across there unless you know how to fly and you have wings or something. I don't know. But that's the only way you can get there. But the people were having to do this. And so God says, says to Joshua, he says, you know, I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to do a miracle. And he, he says to him, I, wonder if he, I don't know if he said it this way or he just kind of told him, but he says, remember um, what happened 40 years ago when I opened up the Red Sea? Because Joshua had been there. He'd done that, you know, kind of knew what was going on. He said, I'm going to do something like that again, only this time it's going to be a little different. You know, before when he opened the Red Sea, what did they do? They got to the edge of the Red Sea, the sea opened up, and they walked through. He said, this time I want you to actually start walking into the river before I open it up. I'll, I'll do it, trust me, but you've got to take the first step. You've got to get into the river. You've got to take the plunge. And so I can imagine them walking out into the, into the Jordan River, and they got out, and they got up to their ankles, and they're going, okay, God, ready. And they got up to their knees, okay, God, we're ready. Got up to their, their hips, God, I'm ready. Got up to right here. God, we're ready. And the reality is what it said. It says in it's Scripture, it says in Joshua 3, what God did is he dammed up the river 17 miles upstream. And as the people were going out in the river, 17 miles worth of water had to come through first. But God's timing was perfect. And as they go through, the waters receded and they were able to walk across the river and to capture the promised land. What's the point? The point is this. The first step is always the hardest. The first step is always the hardest. You know, you can say, you know, you, you can discover God's purpose. If you want to know what God's purpose is for your life, look at those. And I used an analogy a while ago, and I just rattled them off because I know it so well. Your shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, which is your passions, your, the A, which is abilities, 
Your P, which is your personality, and the E, which is your experiences, your, your, your educational experiences, your, your difficult experiences, all the things that God has, has put in your life, spiritual experiences. You take all of those together and look at what those things mean in regard to who you are. And you take those, and God gave you all those, and then you figure out from that what it is that God wants you to do with your life. And so the reality is you still have to, once you know it, you have to take the first step. Because if you're not doing what you were made to do, what are you doing? What are you doing? See, one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And your doubts are going to seem awfully petty at that point. Because you've got to take the risk. You've got to step out in faith. Joshua finally gave the instructions to the leaders and told them to get ready to cross the Jordan River. What do you do? When you know what you ought to do and you know what's right, but you're afraid to do it, you do it anyway. You do it anyway. See, what do you do when you know God wants you to do something and you don't have the faith to do it? You do it anyway, and then the faith comes. God says, step out. That's, the faith is not wait until I feel ready to go. You know what it's, it says in Ecclesiastes 11.4? It says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes 11.4 in Scripture. If you wait for perfect conditions, okay, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get ready. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And never do anything? He said, if you wait for perfect conditions, it'll, you'll never, never get anything done. You launch out in faith. And you let God begin to use you. See, there's never a better time to start doing what God meant for you to do than now. So let me conclude with two questions. Just two questions. Number one, what are you doubting that God can do in your life? What are you doubting that God can do in your life? Have you said, well, God can never use me? You know, know, it's, it's about my past. You're dead wrong. Doubt will keep you from having God's best in your life. I guarantee it. You will miss the very things you were created for if you allow doubt to dominate you. And number two, question number two, what should you stop praying about and start doing? You're going, that's sacrilegious. No, let me tell you why I say that. Because too many Christians, they use prayer as a crutch. They simply say, well, you know, I'm praying about that. And I'm praying. And two years later, they're still praying about that. Yes, you should pray about it. Pray unceasingly is what it says in Scripture. But you don't just use, you need to Certain things you, after God you know, reveals to you in your life. You know, I mean, some people say, well, I'm praying about tithing. Well, just do it. Or I'm praying about getting involved in a small group. Just do it. Or, I'm praying about getting involved in ministry and doing something for God. Just do it. Just do it. How much do you believe God? You're only hurting yourself by procrastinating. You were created for a purpose. Do it now. And you don't have to start big. You can start small. Just take that first step. Try something out. But start. See, the greatest disaster is if we come to a place like this and we worship God and we raise our hands and if you do that. And, and if, and, and, or if you sing, if, if you do that. And, and you do all these things and you hear a message and, and you go home and do nothing. What a waste of time. Because God has called us to not only hear, be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. 
He wants us to act upon it. So I would challenge you to go for it. Because God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And you can listen to your doubts all day. But they will always stop you from doing the things that God wants you to do. Because God has promised you so many things. Get into his word and discover what it is. And then act upon them. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org. 